supporting for one year now. This is our eighth trip, um, and it has been uh, it's such a blessing every time. A couple, couple photos have up there, um, just so you can see it. Um, I didn't pick a bad location, that's for sure. You know, pick, picked one with a nice ocean view the entire time, and uh, but it is, it is really a beautiful location, and it's such an incredible place to get to. Uh, to spend your day as you're, as you're really spending so much time with kids who've been through so much. Uh, but it was such an incredible experience. Uh, took a group of 12 down there, um, played with the kids, built a, a basketball hoop for them, uh, and then um, and went into town, grabbed some lunch, all that. But I wanted to hear from two people who went for the very first time. So Megan and Guy, if you can come on up. I'm gonna have you guys share real quick. Megan, yeah, you wanna come up too? Megan, if you want to share first just about your experience. Okay. Hi, my name's Megan. Oh. Um, I thought I would definitely recommend going because it was a very humbling experience. Um, just seeing all the little, yeah, the little kids. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, you could tell that they had been through so much. And so it was really cool to just give them, you know, the one-on-one -on -one attention that they really want and they need. So. And it's beautiful down there too, so yeah. it was a really cool experience and get to know other people in the church. Yeah, Megan, by the way, you've been a part of Soundhouse for 10 days now, maybe? It was last Sunday your first Sunday? Yeah. Thank you, and, and thank you for your boldness. That is, um, I'm more introverted, so that, that shocks me if you'll do that, but you've had some people who, yeah, will come to service and say, six days later, yeah, let's go to Mexico. Let's get in the car with these people. and. <laughs> And figure out who they are. So, yes. But thank you so much for joining us. I will say the part of the blessing is getting to know someone like Megan in the car all the way down and all the way back, and, and it's such a pleasure. And no matter what you are, whether you're uh, young at age or at the advanced age that I am, it really doesn't matter what age you are when you go down there because there's something for you to do. Um, you know, Chad and I and, and a few of the guys were. Building, building this basketball hoop that had been there for like six months and no one would take the task of putting it together. And so we put it together and mounted it in the ground and all that. Because there was like 50 pieces, 50 no pieces, instructions, no and no picture of it. So. And if you know anything about Chad, he's a tinker toy guy. Yeah. So I love that about him. And so a lot of reverse engineering. Yeah. Tinker toy that whole thing together. And uh, we had such a great time. And, and then other people were playing with the kids. And, and I love this place because... The people that work there, uh, you know, I'm a teacher, I understand this concept. They work every single day with these kids, mm -hmm. and they're teaching them, and they're caring for them, and they're feeding them. And so when we go down there, it kind of gives them a little bit of a break to take a breath, and we get a chance to be those people. And no matter what your language barrier is, because some spoke Spanish, I do not, it doesn't really matter. They, yeah. they, the kids just gravitate to you. And I, wa mm -hmm. I love watching some of our people sit there and do Play-Doh for like an hour. Yeah. And they loved it. And we, we didn't really have to speak any real language. It was the language of art. And it was, it was great. So I thoroughly loved it. Getting it on Megan was, was awesome for me. And we just we had a great time. So no matter young or old, uh, <laughs> you know, there's something for you to do down there, for sure. So thanks yeah. for the opportunity. It was great. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, if you are interested, our next trip is going to be December 11th. And it's, uh, I, I think, the most fun trip of the year. Uh, we do a sponsorship within our church for um, for people to come down and to bring, or you can stay, but you can send a, a present where you can uh, pick a child kind of off the registry and 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 create a, a good Christmas gift for them that we'll take down and deliver to them. And uh, you know, it was such an incredible experience last year. I think the most incredible thing about it was the kids don't don't want for anything. They have clothes, they have food, you know. 
but when we were giving them to them, the founder was there of the orphanage, and he was saying that nothing is exclusively theirs. You know, it's all, the clothes are all shared, and the toys are all shared, and the, you know, and the food, like I said, everyone eats, but it's, it's all shared. But then when they got a pair of shoes, when they got some toys that had their name on it, that was for them, um, their excitement uh, of, of realizing that. And it was such a special thing to be a part of. But our next trip, December 11th, will be that Christmas trip. Some Christmas crafts, Christmas games, as well as that gift exchange. Um, so be looking out for information on the gift exchange coming out in the next couple weeks. Christy? Chad? Um, well, good morning. My name is Christy. I'm on staff here at Soundhouse. Um, one exciting announcement that we have coming up is that our fall festival is in a couple weeks. Um, so Halloween is actually on a Sunday this year. Um, so it's our first year having our fall festival here, but we will be taking over the park playground area with a bunch of carnival booths. We have a giant rock wall, um, slide, TK burgers, a lot of fun things. So um, a few ways that you can help support us in this endeavor. The first is that there are some postcards in the back um, for you to give to families, um, families with young kids to invite them to come. Um, this is kind of one of our big outreach events to reach out to the local neighborhood and to our own communities to invite them on campus um, with the end goal of them sitting in one of these seats one day. Um, the second way is to bring candy donations. So we're looking for candy donations. The next couple of weeks you can just leave them in the foyer. We go through a lot of candy. Um, and then lastly, we're looking for some volunteers. So if you want to run a Good morning. How are you? Good. Yeah, I mean, please, please, please consider uh, jumping in and volunteering for our fall festival, like Christy was saying. It is a really, really great experience. If you haven't been a part of it yet, um, please be thinking about a family that you want to bring or someone you've thought, man, this is a really easy event. It's very safe, and they get to come to the church, be on campus, and so, before I jump into the message, I'm going to say this right out of the gate, that next week uh, I have one more message before I take a break for a couple weeks. I'm having a surgery. You won't see me around. Uh, and so uh, I, I ended up like four months ago finding out that I had uh, a thyroid cancer. They say it's the best cancer if there is a good cancer. And so... Uh, it, it's been this process where they're going to take out half my thyroid, make sure I'm good. And the main thing I just said to the doctor was like, you're not going to cut my vocal cords, are you? It's, it's like what I do. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I go, no, no, you understand. I like need my vocal cords. And <clears throat> so it's funny because they originally wanted to take out my whole, whole thyroid. And they came back and said, well, we've been thinking about it. We'll just take out half so that way if we do damage a vocal cord, you'll have one more. And I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, this kid's cool. So, um, it's a miracle for anyone who has to hear me talk all the time. Rick Piercy, I know you haven't been praying for this, but now I'm limited in my speech, right? <laughs> so, uh, but if you could just be praying for my doctor to be real, real good with that knife. And, um, and then for posts that just there's nothing else that they've got to do. So, um, but yeah, so I just want to say that 
next week I'll see you. After that, I will not. So we have a special announcement next week for the whole campus and for the whole church. Uh, please make sure you're here. It's exciting things happening um, and that are underway that you'll start to see and be able to be a part of. And our elders are going to be here to kind of share with you the uh, partially our vision for next year having to do with the property and where we're going to ministry. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much, God. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. God, we thank you for this whole series. Um, personally, I want to thank you for what you're speaking to me um, in just even the study of this message. God, I thank you for what you're speaking to others um, through what I've even heard. God, thank you for inspiring us to want more not just to survive, God, but that we can thrive in you. And God, I just ask that as we close this series today, that you help us get a very, very sharp focus on this message in particular, that God, that why we thrive has such a great meaning and purpose to the work that you're doing on this earth. And so God, I just thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new here, we've been in this series. Uh, this will be our final week. And what we felt from the beginning was there are a lot of conversations we have with people about just, you know, hey, I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to maintain or I'm just trying to survive. And although circumstances will, you know, influence things in our life, throughout Scripture, no matter the circumstance, trusting God following in his will and what he has for us, there always can be thriving. We do not have to succumb to just surviving. And so why could Paul and Peter and, 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 or, or even Jesus on the cross be in the place he was um, to, to just say, God, I, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Uh, for Paul and Peter to sing as they're in prison, or to encourage one another, or to reach out to those who are actually persecuting them. Why can they do that? And so in our circumstances, we've gone through a lot as a culture, as a community, but we can still thrive in the midst of our circumstances and difficulty. Our passage series has been John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, meaning that the way, if you will, of all things that are out of the rhythm and harmony of God, evil, if you will, the world, some people will, will, will call it that word, but really it's all these, a movement against the very will of God and his ways and his rule, evil, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Life, in this sense, we've said every week, life is this having all that it has to offer. Life is that life that you have inside when circumstances aren't going well, but you're thriving on the inside. Life is this life of active, vigorous, sustained by God type of life. And then I like the word abundantly because abundantly means this, is we will all set boundaries in our life and put a box around what we do. We tend to do this. God is beyond your expectation, beyond what you think are my limits, God is beyond that. Right? Good news that God has more even at our own limitations that we put on God. 
I want to do a very brief recap and then I want to do the recap week by week. has been done against the church and why Paul works so hard and, and Peter as well to speak against the, the, the division of the church because internally the church will ruin itself but it thrives in the per per persecution we have to protect that and then we have to realize that Paul uses the concept to express the idea of organic function but what does this mean for us as a congregation as individuals, so important that as the church, we are the acting representation of the body of Christ, representing him as he would want it to be. And then the third week here, we talked about striving is thriving, right? When we talk about striving is thriving, it, 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 we always think the struggle is very difficult. The struggle is hard, but it's in the process of the struggling that you begin to experience thriving. And there are some things we talked about that are important, is when you're in the middle of striving for something, when you are no longer satisfied with maintaining the status quo, and you want to thrive, no longer just survive, you will need hope, hope and striving. Hope is our fuel. It fuels us. We talked about Mary Magdalene, her story from really nothing and an outcast 
to the work that she did along the way and, and, and following Christ, being there at crucifixion, being there at resurrection, being a part of the early church Pentecost, and being a part of the church movement. She went from someone who was filthy in most people's eyes to someone who was leading hope ultimately in that. And then there's trust while striving. And we talked about this whole, trust is just grabbing his hand, God's hand as he's guiding you. It is very difficult to not fully trust ourselves and trust God and say, God, wherever you're going, I'm going to trust that you're taking me there. It's very difficult when God is leading you into something that you have, where you have never been to experience it, something that you have never seen. And it's very hard to hold the hand. Joseph is a very good example of that, of trusting God. This guy had a bad hand dealt to him. As a young man, all the way to where he finally, we would say, oh, he's thriving at second in charge of Egypt. And he gets to change all these things for his family. But the journey is what made Joseph. The trusting God thriving along the way, although it was very unfair in his journey. And the last part we talked about with striving is thriving is the journey of faith, these small movements at a time. We often think that faith is this great leap, but faith are these tiny movements along the way. Small movements. It's like, what about Bob? Baby steps, right? One of my favorite movies. And it, it's just these little movements at a time. We often get wowed by the big movements of faith, but really the little movements is probably what brought them there, the little, the little consistency in their faith. Gideon was a great example of that. And God tested his faith so much that he's like, I want you to win this war. I want you to yeah, take your people in a direction, and you're not somebody who's a leader. Actually, you're at the bottom of the barrel. And I want you to... Scale your army down, all the way down from 30-some thousand to 300. Let's see what you do. That is one step of faith after another. Sometimes striving is thriving. Week four, we talked about thriving in relationships. And it ultimately, brokenness reveals the brokenness of humanity, that we need God, and we need restoration in our life and ultimately we need Christ because he represented perfect humanity and offers us to walk in the way that he did and so it it shows us how broken humanity is when we have broken relationships and at, and I think we talked about this the sanctification process displays ultimately the spiritual fruits that the Bible talks about in Galatians when we are thriving in relationship, we are displaying these fruits everywhere we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, has anybody in here ever played pickleball? Okay. I now know to stay away from all those who play pickleball. Uh, Ann and I were invited to play pickleball the other day, and, and yeah, I know. All I need is an invite. Yeah, Dolly... Dolly organized it, brought us out, and we were all playing, and, and I look happy, but I'm miserable, and I tried to put like a little halo over my head because I feel like I displayed all of the fruits of the Spirit during pickleball. Like, I, I, I love everyone I was with. That was easy, but the joy in it was fun, and, but then like we lost every single game. And everybody was moving so very little, but yet we were running everywhere all over the court, which means we don't know what we're doing. We hustled. 
And, and I just think about the whole process of like how hard it is, not with pickleball, I'm making a joke, although I'm in a lot of pain, Dolly, thank you, I hold that to you. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, in life, we will, we will thrive when we lean into these things, when we desire to display these fruits. It's the work of the Spirit, but it's the trusting in Christ and the leading of the Spirit that we will manifest these things, right? I could have at pickleball thrown my racket. I could just go, screamed. I could have been harsh. I could have quit, right? I could not have been, like, kind and merciful, even though I had no power to be merciful. I, 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 could, I couldn't have been patient, right? And I could have been very unloving, and I could have been just a downer, right? So... How we display ourselves in life is ultimately a testimony to the work Christ has done in our life. Our relationships thrive when we do that. And then last week we talked about thriving spirituality, and it's very, very simple. There are three things that really lend to uh, a thriving spiritual life. I don't know if I can quite gauge what a thriving spiritual life is. I couldn't say, oh, you're thriving, oh, you're not thriving, right? I think it's a process we all go into from going... I'm at a certain phase and stage of my life in my spiritual maturity, and I want to continue to grow, right? It's funny when all of us maybe have this, and so maybe you won't feel weird when you think about it this way, is that there are parts of our life that we're very, very mature in. But then when something kind of triggers us or bothers us of something that's been unresolved since we were a child, have you ever seen that part kind of come out like it was the 10-year-old child of you? And you're like, whoa! And people are like, whoa! There are parts of our life in the sanctification process that God wants to mature in our life. And it will be, do, it will be through prayer where you will develop. It will be through study. And it, and it will be through like consuming the word and developing a passion for its nutrition for your spiritual life. And it will be in obedience, meaning that you're going to have to burn some spiritual calories. That's just the way it is. We cannot just be uh, uh, intakers only. It, it, it's our growth spiritually. Those two things in particular, prayer and study, must be put to work. It's how you prove a theory, if you will, how it's working in you, to see it working itself out. Today, our final week, I, I feel like all of, the five, all of the five where we have already studied are really ultimately pointing to this one week. The reason for it all, and I wrote it this way, that it's a beautiful manifestation of the church and its people when they thrive, right? The manifestation is this. It is a thriving kingdom of God. All of those five things, yes, they are great in our lives and we experience something personally, but they are for the work of the kingdom. They are for the movement of the kingdom, the, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. They are all for this work. It's fantastic to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, but we, like Adam and Eve, weren't just created or a new creature to just take in and not go do the kingdom's work. The kingdom of God, I think, ultimately is a thriving kingdom as I've titled this message. And if I can get us to think one way, I just think of it this way. The people of God, ultimately, when a thriving kingdom is, is the people of God harmonizing with the rule of God. Harmonize. In harmony with what God is doing. 
When creation or, or even behaviors are out of joint with the harmony of God, you feel the need to redeem that area or sanctify that area or to restore that area. Harmonizing is so important. Creation's order is set right when we are in that path, right? Kingdoms, like God's kingdom meaning this, when you hear God's kingdom, ultimately it means God's rule, his reign, ultimately his true order of things. That's the kingdom of heaven. And I like this little phrase I pulled out of a commentary. Kingdom in the, in, sorry, kingdom in the phrase kingdom of heaven is a noun of action. Like the word love is the, in the phrase the love of God. It's in action. It's a very good way to think of that, is that what is God's love? It's God's love very much in action to display his love. He acts on that love. And the kingdom of heaven is an action that we will take, and God's kingdom is advancing. It's an action. It's a way of being. It's a way of living and a way of going. There are three, I think, personally, I, I never use the word absolute. But I just feel like I feel confident enough to say these are three absolutes to a thriving kingdom scripturally. And number one is passion and purpose. For a thriving kingdom movement or a move of the kingdom in our area or a move of the kingdom in our lives, there must be passion and purpose. Um, knowing our purpose intimately, deeply, and connected to it in such a way, it, it, it only invokes passion. You know, some people, when they just are so passionate about something that you don't care about, it's amazing to see. You're almost entertained by their passion. You're not really interested in what they're doing. You know what I'm talking about? Every time we sit there, I love facts. I love facts. Give me a fact. I love facts. I love Google. Thank goodness for Google because I love facts. Unless they Google me and check my facts. I don't love Google then. <laughs> But I think about like when I, I sit down at our dinner table <clears throat> and our kids are just like, I'm like, hey, did you guys know? And they're like, oh, <laughs> it's the most painful thing, <clears throat> but I'm so passionate about it. And then even though they're talking, I will still talk. I want them to hear my facts. And it, 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 when, you are, when you are, have an understanding of something, you think it has a real meaning, you will be passionate about it. I... Uh, Love this uh, leader. He's, he's a Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL. His name is Jocko Willink. And, you know, I don't love everything he says, but I do love his mindset. One time in an interview, I was listening to what he said, and they said, when did you know you wanted to be a Navy SEAL? By the way, he's the guy with the muscles. The new guy's a new uh, uh, National Guard. But one day, maybe, you know. It, and he said this, and it makes so much sense. Even when you look at this guy, he said, when, they said, when did you know you wanted to be a Navy SEAL? He goes, I felt like I was born. To be a Navy SEAL. I felt, I felt like I was born. All I thought about was this. As soon as I could and it was available, I, I went in with the vision that one day I wanted to be in the Navy SEALs and lead in the Navy SEALs. And I think it's funny how he said it. I almost felt like I was born that way. And I look at him, I'm like, yeah, he looks like one. If I saw him or a WWE wrestler, I don't know. But like he looks like he was born for that. He understood, I think, his purpose and it drove his passion. The kingdom of heaven is like that. What is your purpose? You must know it deeply, intimately. It will drive your passion. If you've ever felt stagnant in your 
uh, efforts to expand the kingdom, reaffirm what your purpose is. What thriving is about. Why are you a new creation? And what is God calling you to do in this world? There is no writer in the Bible who wrote more about the kingdom of heaven than Matthew. It was his central theme of his book. One of the Gospels. The kingdom of heaven was primary. He was trying to communicate something very, very, very important. And Matthew does it so well. It's so much so that I was looking at it, uh, looking it up. And he references king or kingdom 77 times in the book of Matthew. This guy was all about kingdom and Christ is king, God is king. And so while most of the popular or known kingdom language you will read or quote, it will be from Matthew. He wanted to establish God's rule and order in this world, and it cannot be stopped. But he was encouraging in his writing, highlighting for a reason that Jesus was inviting us into that. Matthew 6.10, it's the simple prayer. In the middle, of, in the very end of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that presents something unusual. Because I think sometimes as a believer we go, okay, I'm a believer and one day I will experience heaven. We almost use those words, but why pray? Would Jesus tell his followers, pray this prayer one day on earth as it is in heaven? It becomes a focal point of God. How do we see your kingdom here? And how do I be as an ambassador a part of that. God's kingdom, man oh man, if you break it down this way, I try, to, I try to put it in segments of when you see moves of God, and not that he's changing, but do you remember when Jesus said it's almost like birth pains, right? The, the contractions, they're slowly coming, and the kingdom of heaven, and it's advancing and moving, right? And it's, if you look at it like this, like birth pains, like Jesus said, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, you see the kingdom advancing, right? God's reign, God's rule advancing. From Joshua to 1 Samuel, you see a kingdom expansion through a whole other era of time and eventually to the reign of David. You see in 2 Samuel to 2 Chronicles, a kingdom expansion through the reign and rule of God's chosen people through a chosen king, and it doesn't always go so well, but God's kingdom is expanding and his expectations of its advancement is going to come to a head. From Ezra to Malachi, all these prophetic words coming from that there is a kingdom coming, there is a king coming, and it will advance and the whole world will experience its presence. And then to the Gospels, where there's an arrival of the king. He arrives. He does not look like a king. He is not treated like a king. He doesn't act like a king. He is a counter-king to our culture. He is a just king. He is a loving king. And he rules in the way that God orders things to be done. And so... Acts through Revelations, when we read that, the kingdom is here and will fully soon be realized. Revelation 21, 22. If you want to get a vision of where the kingdom 
is going, read Revelation 21, 22. It will tell you that's the end game. And so we're at work in process of heading towards the end game. When you do not have a vision, it's hard to know, like, if you're on track. Have you ever been lost before? But if you know where you're going, you can't just set out on a road trip and be like, let's see where we go, right? God gives you a very specific task and a very specific vision, and are we going that way? N.T. Wright says something really great. He's a great, great, great um, theologian. I really like him. He, he really inspires me, and I needed some encouragement the other day, and I just N.T. Wright just did it for me. And he says this. He uses this example when we think about uh, us as a new creation, as a new body, as a resurrected body, and the kingdom of heaven at work and one day will be fulfilled. He said it like this. He goes, have you ever had it where you have a friend who is going through something maybe terminal and they've had all this treatment and, the, and, and, and you knew them a year ago as looking and being this certain way and, and you would say, wow, they're, they're really a shadow of their former self. And he said, in the opposite way, when you see you as this resurrected with Christ person, a, a new creation, and the kingdom of heaven that is now happening and moving and establishing, and one day, right, now, but not yet, one day, he said, you almost look at it in the opposite way, which is you are a shadow of your future self, and the kingdom is a shadow of a future self, or a future kingdom. I liked that way of seeing it. It gave me kind of a hope that I'm there, but I'm not all the way there. It's like I'm in process of it, and the kingdom is a process in its work. There is such a great psalm that we might just miss. N.T. Wright says this psalm, this is his greatest pounding point on this. He's, he's written prolifically about the kingdom of heaven. A great, great uh, author and um, researcher on the kingdom of heaven, and I like his take on Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is this glimpse of what God's rule and order looks like. And so, let me read it. I'm going to read the whole thing, but I cut out parts that, that, that are a little bit more about David having this, like, uh, interaction with God, but really more about what it looks like when what David is asking for. He's asking God, let me rule like you. And here's what he says. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness. Now, this is how God's rule is. And David is saying, help me be like this in your rule. And so I think this applies to us. You may not be king or queen, but you are employed into the work of the kingdom. You are an ambassador. You are someone who is representing God like David was to his people. So I think it can apply to the new Christian or the believer. He says, verse 2, May he judge your people with righteousness. Listen to these values. And your poor with justice. Let the, right, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people in the hills in righteousness, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Verse 5, may they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon, as long as the moon although all, uh, throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the, mo, uh, uh, sorry, on the mown grass 
like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. For verse 12, it skips down. For he delivers the needy when he calls in the poor and uh, in the poor in him uh, who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and on the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon, and many people, uh, many people blossom in the cities like grass in the field. And then we get into back to God. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That's a very, very powerful psalm that reveals the very heart of God's rule. And David is saying, let me rule like you, because when I rule like you, this is what it looks like. That is what the kingdom of heaven has to offer, if you will, the world. That's the order and the rule of the world around us that God has created. That's the kingdom of heaven advancing. It should look like that in the wake of its advancement. But do you sense a theme here in this? I think it's ultimately God where there is anything created that's out of order or out of harmony with you May I be one that does what you would do. That's the simple prayer. When something is out of the order of the kingdom, when something is out of rhythm, out of harmony, it brings death and destruction. God, let me be someone who is about life and abundance and light. There's a theme about helping the needy, those who cannot help themselves. It's much more than just a physical thing. Although, is it conscious? Are we conscious of it? Is it, is, it a, is, it a, is it a cadence that we march to? Is it a thought that we have? Because if God rules like this, and God's people are asking to, to do God well, or do right by God, to operate like this, are we doing the same thing? And so ultimately, it's purpose and it's passion. The second part, these last two are very short, but value and vision. This is essential. This is an absolute to the kingdom thriving and its, its value and vision. What is it worth to you? Not just your salvation. What's the kingdom worth to you? What is the driving vision of the kingdom? I think that when we understand its worth, we're definitely going to want to know the vision and be on board with the vision, with its worth. It's funny, I was playing my son. Is there a picture you can put up here? I didn't tell him I was going to do that. This is a picture of me playing Monopoly with my son, Jackson. I took this picture to remind him of how badly I beat him. So you can see I own all the properties and all the money, and he has $1 to his name, okay? And so... <laughs> It's funny because we're going along and, and like uh, I knew I needed to get Park Place and Boardwalk. I knew I needed to do it. 
And I went and I had, I had almost like $20 after I was making the purchase. And he was like, Dad, why are you? Gonna, you're going to go broke. And I was like, I know it's value. <laughs> and one day you will see when you pay me $2,000 when you land on it. Like it I, and he was just questioning me the whole time. And at one point he said, and he's so kind. He was like, Dad, do you? Do you want me to give you like 20 bucks? I can loan you some money. I was like, don't loan me the money because I'm going to feel bad for what happens to you later. <laughs> I think that there are, there are things worth everything to attain something because you see its value. You see its worth. And so what is it worth? Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Hidden in a field, when a man goes out, uh, when a man finds it, he hides it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. In his joy, he sold all that he had. And this is such a great heart thing. This is what's happening here. Where your heart is, there, where your treasure is, essentially, there your heart is also, right? And in here, it's is a heart issue of how valuable is the kingdom? Is it worth giving up everything that you have. And this doesn't necessarily mean physical, although some things will be. But all the little things we find our security in, is it worth giving those things up and putting it into the work of the kingdom? All the things that we want to build for ourselves and our life, it's good. Yes, it is good. I would never speak against that. But is it that's the most valuable thing, or is it worth us looking and seeing the suffering and needs and hurts of others, bringing harmony to God's order and balance to what he's doing in the world. Is it worth it that we would give it all up? Ebenezer Scrooge is a great example of that in about what it means to be see human suffering all around you, see brokenness all around you, but yet hoard and hoard and hoard. It's, a, it's a, a powerful thing because at the very end of the movie, you know the story, but all of a sudden he realizes all of this need is around me. And what's the first thing he does is go meet as many needs as he possibly can because the kingdom is worth everything that we have. And I think that when we do not have the vision right, we will begin to just hoard and hoard when suffering is all around us. Maybe God will stir something in your heart about suffering and human pain. The last thing is this, is the ministry of movement. For the kingdom to thrive, it, it, it has to be a ministry of movement. And here's what movement looks like. Loss is gain. These are basically quotes from scripture. Suffering is joy. Serving is salvation. All of these are actions, right? We see the value of something we move into action, and we engage into the kingdom. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, by the way, very tough scripture. If anyone wants to come after me, he must, listen to these words, If you want, then you must deny himself, and then you must take up his cross, and then follow me. Jesus is the king, obviously, and he is ruling in the order of which all creation is meant to be. But his road, if you follow his road, when he says, take up your cross and follow me, meaning that it will not be easy 
to operate in the kingdom as we should. So he's saying, if you want to come after me and you want to, you're going to have to follow me. And you will have your cross. There's always this tension between kingdom and cross. We love kingdom. And I, I, I got to quote N.T. right here again. I, I, I listened to a lecture the other day and he said this and I thought, I don't, I'm not quoting him exactly, but I wrote it as fast as I could. He said, we enjoy the kingdom status, but we shrink from the cross. We love being citizens, but we shrink from the cross, carrying our cross. And wherever Christ went, he faced difficulty, but it brought him to the most beautiful places that we love to hang on to in Scripture. The very human moments of where suffering is being met by love. Where peace like, is brought in the middle of a storm. Where, where, where uh, the powers that be, that the world has the best to throw it, Jesus he represents the kingdom in humility and sacrifice. All of the disciples didn't quite understand this until they picked up the cross and followed Jesus. And it led them to incredible kingdom expansion and work. But yes, did it lead them to a place that was suffering? And did they bear their cross? Absolutely. But I don't want us as a church to shrink back from the cross. That it will be difficult you will be in places you never thought you'd be. You'll be in conversations you don't want to be in. You will be extending a hand where you feel like this person doesn't deserve it. And you will be ultimately uh, growing in ways you never were inspired to because you are carrying your cross into the work of the kingdom. I feel like the kingdom grows, thrives, when we pick up our cross and we follow him. It's what Paul or many places in the Bible will say is running the race, right? Pouring yourself out is carrying the cross. It's being light in darkness, but you must be in the darkness in order to shine that light. It's suffering for the kingdom's sake. Now, I've had people say like, oh, your religion's dumb. And that, you know, I, I can be like, I'm persecuted, right? But I'm not. But there are those all over the world who are facing the persecution that Jesus is saying, you're going to pick your cross up and you're going to follow me, and it's going to be a very difficult road, who are experiencing it all over the world by the millions. And it doesn't mean that you're less than in any way. What it means is that you have more freedom than they do to carry your cross into the darkness in your culture around you. We should do it. We should do it. It's cadence of reconciliation, redemption, and renewal. This is picking your cross up, and this is the kingdom way. And ultimately, in Revelation 20, 22, vision in mind, that all people from all tribes and all nations will proclaim the glory of God, and they will hold up a palm branch that says victory, and they will shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's the end. We're on our way. It's nice to be a citizen, but God didn't put us here to relax. He didn't create Adam and Eve to relax. He didn't create you to relax. He didn't put Christ here as king to sit back and be served. He came to serve. That is following Christ in his way. Let's bow our heads here. I would say this, that we thrive with purpose ultimately, and we, uh, to do the will of the Father, God, King, whatever, how whatever title uh, is put placed there, ultimately he is calling you. And the bottom line will be this. It will be your answer. He's calling you to do his kingdom work.
in whatever way that he is opening your eyes to see something that needs kingdom work. Your Kingdom work, kingdom way is picking your cross up and going to places that you do not want to go. But I'll tell you what, from what I can read throughout scripture and what I see all over the world in people's testimonies is that they're thriving in those places and the kingdom is thriving in those places. And ultimately the Bible says that the, the, the harvest is vast, but the laborers are few. And that's a very true statement. The harvest is vast, but the laborers are few. Will you labor with me? At the end of the day, Jesus is inviting us to do that. And so, yes, you were created to thrive. And yes, you should experience thriving. But you were created to thrive for a thriving kingdom that is setting into order and renewing and restoring and saving and caring for and, and, and establishing the world as God meant it to be. Will you labor with those who are laboring? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that God, that, that you've been giving so many positive examples around our life. God, we're here probably because someone was laboring saying, I'm going to carry the cross, and I'm going to reach to you and talk to you. We're probably here because of that, God. Don't let us, help us, please, not pick our feet up and get relaxed, God, that thriving is your thriving kingdom, God, that we will help to labor be a part of your redemption of this world, God. Place people's names on our hearts so heavy, God, we can't even stand it anymore, God. We must be God, open our eyes to things that we can't look away from anymore, God. We have to see it. Because like Psalm 72, God, help us be a people who would, who, who would bring about your rule and the way you would do it as ambassadors, representatives who heal and help and care for and look to the other, not just to ourselves, God, that we are followers of Christ and we will pick up a cross and follow you. We love you, God, for who you are what you're doing in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand with me and sing this last song?